This is the Right Way Podcast. Right Way Podcast. The 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 Right Way Podcast. Hi there, this is Hayley Scrivener. I'm the author of Dirt Town. And I was in conversation with Samuel Elliott in a live event, uh, the Sydney launch for Dirt Town at Better Red Than Dead. Yeah, thank you so much for the introduction to this night's episode there, Hayley Scrivener, and hello to everyone out there in digital land listening to this particular episode of the Right Way Podcast Program with me, your host, Samuel Elliott. person whom you just heard introducing this episode of the Right Way Podcast Program is none other than tonight's guest, Hayley Scrivener. Hayley and I actually record this very special uh, event or very special episode of this very special event uh, on location in the wild at Better Red Than Dead Newtown last Friday night. I was very fortunate enough to host and get to speak with Hayley Scrivener about her debut novel that's now out, Dirt Town. That's what we were discussing. So Dirt Town centers around the disappearance of one of the uh, young girl citizens of Dirt Town, Dirton. Uh, as I should pronounce it, uh, Esther Bianchi as she disappears and then the thread of the story is picked up from several different perspectives both of that of her other child friends as well as um, various other members of the town and even a kind of a Greek sort of chorus uh, personifying the town itself or the youths of Durton as well. So I uh, don't want to spoil too much, but yeah, it was an absolutely amazing event. I was very fortunate enough to uh, get to speak to Hayley Scrivener there at the event about her work and getting to hear uh, her describe her work that she's been working on for some time now. So it was an absolute pleasure to talk to her about her debut novel. So everyone, please give a big digital round of applause to me talking to Hayley Scrivener about her debut novel, Dirt Town, at the event that took place last Friday night at Better Red Than Dead Newtown. Hayley, <laughs> I would love to hear, given this is a debut novel, what sort of, uh, what was the origins of town was it an image was it a character was it an idea where, where did that sort of kind of uh commence from all right i might do no mic as well people can hear me right You're on, can you? yep cool and then we'll have kind of the same level of audio for the recording cool plan. Cool plan. yeah i'm so smart <laughs> um and i write good books so thank you, that for you that. Do. well a good book so far yeah so More thank you for book. that lovely intro um i know really clearly unlike some writing projects or some writers, I feel like I can really easily pinpoint the beginning of this book. Oh, awesome. Because I started my PhD, actually, it was going to be, get this, it was going to be sort of a comedy, tragic comedy set in space. Um, so obviously that's not the book that we're here to talk no, about. No, 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 a little so, bit different. And I got a couple of months into that project and then the, um, I had a sort of frank discussion with my PhD supervisor, we were thinking about it. And I sat down to write a short story. So my PhD was on collective narration. I'm really interested in stories where people talk together because it's actually really unusual, right? Like normally a story is he walks over there and does this or I went over there and I did this. But I'm interested what it would mean if for a whole book you said we are going over there and this is what we think about this. Because anyone who's kind of um, been even in a couple of just two people knows that that we can kind of stretch and snap back like you don't both like pineapple or whatever like we is very hard to maintain so I started writing this short story about a group of kids come in this is my Wollongong contingent come on up um, started writing this story a short it was just going to be a short story and it was uh, the, these kids coming home from school so I grew up in a small country town and I just had this very vivid image of people like on the school bus home but all the different ways that people in my town went home. So if you were like me and you lived near the shops, 
you kind of walked home. If you lived out on one of the properties, you like got the, you know, the shuttle bus or whatever. And so as I was writing them coming home, there was something about that voice, about this group of children that just really flowed and that, I, that, that felt very true. And like, even though I'm a fiction writer, I feel like when you feel like you've written something true, you know it. You're like, no, that is a real thing that happens in mm. the world. So then, because I sort of got to the end of the short story and I thought, well, why are they talking collectively? Like, I was interested in people that were drawn together and wanted to talk together in a book. But I said, why would these kids be doing it? Like, I know these kids really well. These are the kids I grew up with. This is me. But why, why are they doing that? And that's, for, as a bold out of the blue, I knew that a young girl had died and I knew who had killed her. And I knew that that would kind of unite the children in this shared experience of having gone through losing one of their own. And so that was like, I can really clearly put my finger on where Dirt Town started. Mm. Yeah, it was that short story. And it's basically chapter four or five, as it was written, it stayed in the book in that form. What, what um, compelled you or what, what made you continue going from a short story? Because a short story to a feature length novel is, is a hell of a lot of a commitment. And obviously, so something must have maintained your imagination like that. And so how did it sort of continue from that? Yeah, um, so there was kind of this great external pressure, which I really enjoyed of the PhD, right? I knew I had to complete a novel. So, and as soon as I started writing something that felt like I, it was working, mm. you know, and sometimes they say, write what you know. Some people say, write what you can imagine. But I say, write what you can give detail to. And so I felt like I had the details of this place. And whenever I sat down to write something about it, something always came. And it was really that simple. It was like the choice between writing nothing and writing this book. And I think that's true for many writers. I think you don't... Um, Flannery O'Connor said, you know, you can kind of choose what you write, but you can't choose what you make live on the page. And I completely subscribe to that idea. Like, I kept writing that story because it was the best thing that I was writing. It was much better than anything else I was trying to write. And that's... So that just kept me... And it helped that I... I guess I had an end point in, in this, this, this girl who had died. And that always kept the plot moving, which was very important for me because I wanted a book that the reader like, couldn't put down. And mm. so I felt like I, that was lucky enough to kind of fall out of the sky and I felt sort of beholden to that idea. Like I wanted to do it justice. Yeah. What about all the different viewpoints? Because I mean, like it's, it sounds like it started off with the Wii, which is probably one of my favourite, but I mean, there's, there's several different throughout. Is that how the story was presented itself to you? Is that something that changed through redrafting? Like how did that kind of work? It's a great question. Cause as I said, I started with the children mm. and then um, I actually wrote a whole draft that was only the collective children, which I probably oh. shouldn't tell people makes it sound like I don't know what I'm doing, but um, <laughs> that's kind of a given for me at this point. So I'm happy to share that information. So the, what happened was I realized that the book I had, the, the first draft had lots of these details that I liked. It had this experience of childhood that, that was important to me. But I realised the girl who had died still hadn't kind of come forward. She was still just kind of a plot point. Mm. And I thought, well, I didn't want to introduce her voice, but I wanted us to, to, to miss her and to know her. And I thought, well, so every character that came into the book, they kind of came in one at a time. There's five points of view. So there's the collective children, like a Greek chorus. And you can think of them, they kind of come on, comment on the action and they go away, like in a, like in a traditional kind of play. And then there's Ronnie, who's Esther's best friend, and she's the character closest to me. Um, she's a chubby, sassy, know-it-all, um, who wants to be the Power Ranger she wants to be, you know, and I very much drew from my own experience for that. And then as... And I thought, oh, who else knows Esther? Who else loves um, Esther? And the character of Lewis was mm. next. So he's a young boy, and I don't think this is giving too much away, but he... Um, he is struggling with a secret that he feels like he can't share with the people around him. Unfortunately, that secret also coincides with something he saw on the day Esther went missing. 
So he he's afraid of being kind of exposed and can't tell what he knows with about Esther, even though he really loves her and he wants to. He wants to. So he we, we kind of begin with him being pulled in those two directions of genuine fear. And, and it is a genuine fear. I think that this sort of um, country town setting really helped me go back to childhood and think about you're not in control of your life and Lewis really isn't in control and is trying to do the best he can in the situation he's in and he is a little cowardly but I wanted us to like the poor kid has no other choice I really feel and so Lewis was kind of easy too I could like get into him and then there's Constance who's the mother of the missing girl and fiction is great because sometimes you just make shit up like it's amazing (laughs) um so but I did my brother used to run off a lot when I was a kid and there's 12 years difference between us so that moment where a child that you are responsible for is not where they're meant to be, I think anyone who's ever experienced that, it like sears, your, sears on your soul. And so I really just kept going back to that place and refilling the well. And so Constance took form. And poor Constance, her life is falling apart. Mm. In the con- in Everyone she thought she sort of understood and loved, it's all crumbling around her. And then the furthest character from my experience is Detective Sergeant Sarah Michaels. Um, so she's a gay cop from Sydney who comes into this small community and is trying to kind of unpick it. And that was the most sort of writerly research. Like for Lewis and Ronnie and Constance, I could kind of draw from my life. For Sarah, I really, I investigated what you would actually do when a child goes missing. Um, And one thing for her, I wanted her to be good at her job. And she's not an alcoholic. She's not, yes, she's coming off a relationship breakup with her ex-girlfriend who's a drag king in Sydney. And I really enjoyed that part of her biography or whatever. I had fun with that. But she's not, like, drinking to forget. Mm. She's there, she's doing a, a bloody good job, and she ultimately, the person she is and the experiences she's had help her unpick exactly what happened. Mm. Like, and no one else could come into that town and figure it out the way that she does, I think. Isn't it interesting that you mentioned about Sarah being one of the more difficult kind of characters and the least sort of, or the most detached from your own sort of lived experience? Because I was going to ask you about Lewis and Ronnie, because writing children or small uh, young people characters, children characters, child characters, uh, I actually think is quite one of those things that people might think on paper, not trying to be punny, but on paper it can be quite easy to do when it's actually not. And for me, Hayley, the main thing that I kind of walked away with is how earnest it was in terms of the way in which it depicted these from this child's perspective. And a lot of it, I must say, I felt like it was the, like the relatability of like likening corn to alien teeth and stuff like that lots, lots of stuff like that was a mention of sour warheads you know i felt seen like just reading that sort of thing but I, I wanted to hear from you as to like the writing of that because i think that because naturally you know by virtue of us going older it actually becomes more difficult to write uh realistically or believably from that of a perspective of the child what was that like for you, you didn't find that to be particularly it's difficult because as i said there are a lot of voices um and it's not until i kind of unpack them all i'm like crap like they're all they all fit in there I promise like it's you know um but they the the children in particular I guess I have this conception of childhood in terms of I I do remember certain things quite vividly and I the small country town where I lived we left when I was 12 and Ronnie and Lewis are both 12 and that's not an accident I really do feel like I wanted to get at the psychic truth of what this town felt like and I do that through a lot of fiction I make a lot of stuff up and I'm really I'm happy to do that and I you know but the, those details of, like, Ronnie is just hanging for a bubble bill. I mean, that's just pulled directly from my um, autobiography, you know. So, and there's one scene where she's eating a twisty with the kind of dedication and focus yep. of a true master. Like, she's no- noting the contours, she's, like, feeling it, she's feeling the cheese dust between her teeth. And so that stuff did come quite easily because I remember that stuff. 
but also I wanted to tell the truth about the fact that children do not have a lot of control <laughs> and they have all the same emotions we have. They have fear and anger and love and loss but they can do less about it than we can as adults. And as much as Ronnie, for example, it's a very innocent character. Like she cannot actually fathom that Esther, that something could be wrong, that Esther could actually, because she loves Esther and she thinks Esther is amazing. So therefore she thinks that this must be something that Esther is doing for fun or whatever. Like that innocence felt true, but also when the, as realization dawns or, or her desire to like find Esther, is an adult desire in a child body, child's body, really. Because I do think that's how emotion work. I think we get better at understanding them and better at describing them to other people, but I actually think they're pretty much the same. They're kind of made of the same stuff, even when we're small and we can't change the world we're in. Mm. Speaking about Esther and Ronnie and also Constance and Shell, another dynamic that I kind of noticed throughout is that of friendship, kind of enduring friendship, which is something that I think... Um, and I want to talk to you about in terms of what we as people can sort of prize friendship above sort of any other elements of our lives, including even familial ties. What is it, do you think, Haley, that is about friendship that can make us endure or have such a profound impact on us and kind of define our lives like that? I really love this question because I actually think there's two kinds of friendship in the book. There's Ronnie and Esther, and, and Ronnie is so dedicated to Esther and almost kind of can't really see Esther because she's friends with this idea of Esther. Although I think we, by the end of the book, you see her love is true. And, mm. you know, like I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. But certain people bring out certain bits in us. I mm. I'm sure everyone's had that experience of you feel like a certain kind of person around a certain kind of person. And I feel like that's often a really good basis of friendship. So there's kind of... Um, a really positive way where that works with Ronnie and Esther and that, that, that friendship is a more positive model. And then there's Constance and Shelley. So Constance is the mother of the missing girl and I think she likes the way she feels around Shelley and she doesn't always think about Shelley. She doesn't always think about her friend um, and, and doesn't always think about what she's been through or whatever. But sometimes good friendship is, is like sticking with people when, when they're being a bit dumb. And, and you also, you don't always know where to draw the line either. So I really, I did think about friendship in a lot of different ways. It's not one unified thing. Mm. And I think the same behaviour can be positive or negative depending on if it's like hurting the, the person or not. And ultimately, I think Shelley is willing to be that person for Constance. I mean, obviously Constance is going through this horrible thing in the story. So they are um, just different ways of thinking about the same idea, I mm. think. Yeah. Interesting. What about, I mean, Ronnie kind of believes that she knows Esther better than anyone, better than her family. What is it about that? Do you think that that's kind of a trait of certain friendships where we can think that we know that person better than their own family? Mm. What, what, what is it about that, Hayley, like, that you were trying to kind of or yeah. explore there? And look, I definitely, I would say first, like, gender is a construct. You know, mm. gender is an idea that we, you know, it's a dream we tell ourselves. But also my own experience of being a girl who was friends with other girls is that I often, this incredible intensity of connection and this incredible need to go off and have our own thing away from other people that, and it's just us. And I had so much fun exploring that. There's, um, they have this thing where they have their Beffrey Stens necklace. So when you take best friends in a love heart and you break it in half, it says Beffrey on one side and Stens on the other. I mean, depending on the make and model, that's the one I had. Um, you know, so that idea, and they call each other, like, hey, Beffrey Stens, yeah. you know, and they, that is to me how, like, girlhood friendships the really good ones work but also sometimes that can be isolating or be um it requires other people to be left out and i'm forever endlessly interested in that which is also brings me back to the collective narration right i'm interested in who is us and who is them because it's always changing and it's so painful when you think you know who us is and then it's not 
you're not in the us anymore. Mm. Anyone who's been a girl in high school like knows what that feels like, I think. Also, a little bit off topic, but I was just interested. with the, the, It's set, I think, throughout most of 2001, and I was really struck by that as well because I was like, was that how you originally saw it or is that something that you, you changed in later drafts? Why the, why the 2001 setting in particular? Well, there's a really easy answer to is, that. Is, I, was, that. I was 12 in 2001. Oh. So it really helped me be like, no, nah, you, you know, like that's how much a bubble bill was mm. or that's how much it cost to get into the pool. Like it was easy. And then anyone who writes any kind of crime will tell you, yes, phones yep. are a factor. Like so many, so many great plots fall apart and you can instantly message each other. Yep. And you can have phones die and you can, you can work around it but certainly the children that I was imagining were not connected they were not on snapchat they were not they these were the children of my childhood and and so it just never even really I there was a moment where I really had to explicitly pick and then set all the dates and most of the book happens over three days it's quite Mm. quite a lot happens in a short space of time but there are flashbacks to even earlier there's kind of like um, maybe 20 years earlier in the same town because when you do that you get this beautiful layering effect of the same people in the same place at different times are, are, are acting, you know, in that and, and kind of have knock-on effects into the future. So, yeah. Yeah, I was I was wondering because it was I was I was thinking maybe potentially it might be something to do with like your youth, so that made it easier to kind of write certain elements as well as yeah, the internet thing and the phone thing. Man, yeah. every time I talk to crime writers, I, it's I all, wanted all, to put in like watching Neverending Story on VHS, and someone went, no, no, DVD met, was around. You. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's in the book. It's but yeah. DVD, they're like, DVDs were around. I'm like, yeah, but we didn't have DVDs. Like, we had the VHS we got from the op shop or whatever. And that's, you know, so playing and playing Aladdin on a Sega Mega Drive, oh, which didn't make it into the final cut of the book, but it's still a, a fond paragraph, like, for me personally. <laughs> you have to kill your darlings. But I love, I guess, I again, I wanted what I could give detail to mm. for the kids was so, that was really fun. If I if I restricted it to my actual childhood, and there's like Pokemon cards, yep, um, twisties, I don't know, it's all the. It was all nostalgia for me. I mean, like the Warhead thing was just like the one that yep. really kind of stuck with me. Durton is Durton, 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 yeah. like Dutton but with an R. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so with that, so with the setting itself, was that similar to where in which you grew up originally, or was that somewhere that you kind of like? had to research itself or so I have to be very clear that the people of my hometown are in no way in this book they don't deserve to have a writer go and write another small town that bears some passing resemblance to them so mm. I'm from a small town near Wagga Wagga okay um and so if you've read the book you'll know there's kind of the small town and then there's roads mm. and so roads is very much Wagga in terms Oldest of convention. operationally you know there's there's sort of th- the bigger things are there and then there's a 20 minute half hour drive to this town um and so that helped just have the geography straight in yep. a way. And when you're writing your first book, you are doing so much for the first time that I don't think it's it, it's okay to cut yourself some slack and be like, okay. And I'm not a spatially aware person, so it was really good having the geography of the town where I grew up as the geography of... Like, I put Ronnie in my house where I grew up and I put certain elements where, where I kind of knew that I would remember where they were because they were important to me as a kid. But then I took it and ran with it and none of the characters are based on real people. I never knew anyone who met, went missing. Um, there's some really nasty men in my book. Like, that is not the case in the town where I grew up. But I do think that this idea of a town past its prime mm. um, and living in a physically isolated way is something that I have something to say about and that I had feelings about and that I was able to kind of plug into the book. But it's not, um, 
it's very much a, a, a place that is emotionally true to me, but I'm never pretending that it's a, a factual like representation of the place. I wasn't trying to, to nail the town where I grew up. That was, just wasn't a goal that I had. Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't think that. I was, uh, but like, I mean, I, I, lo- I love the descriptions of it, particularly of the, the wee oracle. I think you called them earlier, describing about how it was a it was a town. It was uh, Dad's happiness was measured on how much grain there was, and talking about the town. Not being the town, like the town is further. There's another place. Yeah, there's a capital further, yeah. T town. Yeah, there's and a then capital there's T town. Small T town. Like, are we going to town or town? You know. Yeah. And I think a lot of people will resonate with that. Yeah. Idea. Yeah. For makes sure. sense. Yeah. But I mean, like, you've gotten praise from like Jane Harper in terms of having this strong sense of place, and uh, I mean, like, you've, you've taken some elements from from what you've what you've known, and then you've completely made it your own to obviously suit the story. What do you think actually makes a strong sense of place for, for particularly a town, particularly if someone uh, hasn't ever visited somewhere like that before? What, what makes that connection for a reader, do you think? I think any setting should act upon the characters within that setting. So mm. characters should be activated by the place they are in. It should have memory for them, but it should also have imagined futures. And like, I really think that by the time I had moved through all of those characters that I described and I thought about how they related it, re- related to it. So from Ronnie, who's been there since she was a little baby... Um, to kind of Sarah Michaels who comes in from Sydney and is able to see it more objectively and is is looking at at it as an adult, wondering why the hell would you kind of live here? You know, the the two extremes um, allowed me to really look at it in a number of different ways. And so, yeah, if it just happens to be happening there, then I don't think you've nailed setting. Mm. I don't think you've nailed place. Um, And so I think the answer to most writing problems is to go deeper into character. Um, and figure those people out and figure out why they're there. Yeah. What do you think it is about towns like this which can capture our imagination, your imagination so much, and readers can, again, if they haven't even visited such a place, they can still resonate with it so much and it just intrigues them so much. What is it about Yeah, it's crazy, town? isn't it? Because I've, like, um, the Lithuanian translation rights are sold, so people in Lithuania <laughs> are clearly ready for this story. In the same, like, And it's sold in the US and the UK, so... Um, you know, my editor in New York is like, oh, I know this place, I love this place and I understand it and I want to visit it. And it's, it sort of was strange at first because I think it really is that thing, the more specific you make it, the more universal it can kind of become. But in, in terms of, I think, going back to this idea of it being an emotionally true place, mm. everyone knows what it feels like to be somewhere where we feel like we can't always access the people around us or the people around us are too close to us and make us feel constrained so anyone who's lived even in a small apartment block or something like has that experience and going back to this idea of us versus them I think it's just that a small country town is a microcosm of that thing we're all living every day of like do I do I belong here am I wanted here am I part of the bigger picture like who is in opposition to me who am I I just think all of that is heightened and 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 there's a reason that this kind of uh, these rural noir things are, take off because I think that that setting is so it gets at a really human fear of being alone, being isolated, um, and being kind of misunderstood or trapped as well. Like I think all of that comes into play. And there's such the prevalent feeling I feel, or the theme of this death of innocence. How can this happen within our sort of almost like harmonious sort of township? Do do you feel that as well? That there's some, there's there's something about this this belief. Uh, within like a small community whereby they think that it could be harmonious when there can still be a massive drug problem yeah Um, you know and then someone goes missing a a girl goes missing and then that kind of drives home or maybe the people in which we think that we know and live with are not the people that we know 
I think at our core, we all want to make the right decision. Mm. We want to make the right decision about where to live, about who to love, about what to do. And what's scary about something happening in a town like this is it sort of shows there is no right decision. Mm. And that's endlessly compelling as a writer to me. It's like, I, as a human being and as a quite anxious person, I want to make the right decision. But you're just kind of like screwed if you do, screwed if you don't with so many things. So, And there's a line in the book where... Um, the father of, of Esther, the missing girl, when they before they moved to the town, because they moved back. He's a Jordan mm. boy and he gets his Melbourne wife and their young daughter, Esther, to move back. Um, sort of says, I want her to be able to ride her bike to school. You know, it's just going to be so much safer here than it is in Melbourne. And, of course, the tragedy is sort of that that is not true. But you, you, you can't know and we can't know. And that's the terrifying, like, truth of being alive, right? And it's, it's sort of nice to take re- readers to that deep, dark human fear. In it. And I think that's what fiction does. It lets us kind of look at things from different angles um, and, and kind of live with this quite painful reality that sometimes there's nothing you can do. There is mm. no right decision. Yeah. It's also interesting that you mentioned as well um, before about how you didn't set out to write a, a crime novel. It was more, as you understood, it was literary fiction. I feel like, do you think that the, the line is becoming much more blurred within contemporary sort of fiction? Yeah, well, that's... I think the saying used to be that like crime is where plot went after it was kicked out of literary fiction <laughs> and I actually really reject that I think plot it should be in every like I I've really come to love plot I love when everything that I've been told I'm being told for some reason and I'm okay with the state I don't mind the level of the stakes the stakes can be you know Kurt Vonnegut said every character should want something even if it's just a glass of water I would read a novel about someone wanting a glass of water if I felt that I cared enough about about the character and why that water kind of mattered to them, right? Mm-hmm. So I think the this idea that um, I think people come to crime because they want to know that everything they've been told is going to kind of come together at the end, and that's that's a place where we can. That's I think why the genre is so is so read by people. So people who read crime read a lot, and it, it makes it a very lovely kind of writer to be because when you're friends with crime writers, they know that if you recommend your you know your book. You, they're also going to read, you know, these other books and you kind of, you sit in conversation with them and it's a, quite a lovely, comfortable place. Um, so I think I personally, whatever I did, would want to be, want to have a plot-driven book and so I'm happy I've landed in crime. But mm. I don't think, I don't think literary fiction should be free of plot either. Like, and I think ultimately these labels help sell books mm. and I'm obviously interested in that because I have a mortgage, you know. <laughs> but um, beyond that, I, I, I really think... What I care about is have I gotten down something true about the world and has that in some way landed with someone mm. um, and do they feel like I valued their time? That's the, that's the, 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 the sort of metric that I apply to myself um, every time I write. Mm. And so I feel like I can do that within any genre and I, but I'm happy to have landed in crime because it gives people a heads up that, yes, this is all going to come together. So it's a long answer, but that's how it was I a good answer. It. it was a good answer. But it, 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 are you... Plotter or panther? Total panther. Total panther. So beyond the fact that I knew from the beginning that someone had died and who had killed them, which is the real bolt from the blue, which is um, lucky. Like, mm. you can't... It's not great writing advice. Just have, you know, this great like idea come from nowhere, right? But what, what that ending was is like a lighthouse. So I was always heading for it, and sometimes I'd kind of get sucked down into stuff or blown away from it. But it kind of always kept me moving in that direction. And what that lets you do is, is to have the confidence to keep writing. Mm. Because then as you spend more time with the characters, they become more complex. It's like spending time with people, right? You go for one date, 
and you you kind of either you maybe decide very soon whether you like them or not but you need to spend time with people to truly understand what makes them tick what makes them sad what makes them angry and the the thing that i've learned with writing is the more time you invest in those characters the more time you get to know them they will just become more interesting and the things that you wrote that you didn't really understand why you were writing them will start to connect up and it's bloody magical it is the most amazing experience and things like on a really um practical level like i had this cat this ronnie has a ginger cat named mr mistopheles and she calls him flea yeah, for flea. short and that was just like whimsy it was just like yeah well, she should have a cat i, I want to write about a cat <laughs> and he kept like popping up and there was a point in the story where i i wanted ronnie to have a reason to do something and i was like looking around you know in the chamber of my brain which is just you know <laughs> a packet of twisties and warheads <laughs> <Okay. laughs> packet of warheads in an empty room right and so and then i i kind of went oh this cat is here and it is this amazing thing where you like i did not know why this cat was in this story for so long and like here he is and it maybe someone else wouldn't notice it but i just know because i knew that i didn't know that was going to happen until i got myself in that room with at the right time after yep. having spent all that time with including the cat i had to get to know the cat to know that he would do that you know <laughs> i was freaked out Whenever an animal is introduced, because I'm always like, please don't kill, please don't kill that cat. Please don't kill that cat. <laughs> the cat, the cat lives. The cat lives. The cat lives. Please, okay. Hayley, the question you knew, you know I've been dying to ask, the crux of the show, we've talked a little bit about it before, is on your writerly journey, where was there a time, was there a time that you kind of like reached a crossroads and questioned whether you were going to continue writing or not? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I'm a big fan of your podcast and I always love listening to the answer to this question because I think once you, and I'm very early in this journey, right? Like my book's only been out for three days, but you already, it seems much more inevitable the more you go on, the more you're like, yeah, of course, it was always kind of going to come together. And like, <laughs> there was that great thing with a cat and that worked out and it's all, you know. Um, but I, very, I have such a clear memory of this. So I was maybe 18 months into the PhD, maybe two years. And I still had the version that was just collective, that was just the children speaking together. And I went to see my PhD supervisor, Dr. Shady Cosgrove. And going in, I kind of, I had this 100,000 words and it was just not interesting. Mm. And part of me was like, maybe it's just that I'm too close to it or whatever, but I just kind of felt like, this is not a story. This is just a bunch of stuff that happens, mm. you know? And, and I went in and it was the most amazing thing. Shady said, yeah, this isn't very good. Um, <laughs> And brutal, brutal. <laughs> no, and bless her heart because it really affirmed for me that I, even if I didn't yet have the tools to make it good, mm. I could tell that it wasn't good yet. Mm. And that's actually the first tool that a writer needs. And so, and then we talked about it and what, that was her suggestion to be like, what if we could get closer to Esther in a more individual way with more individual characters? And so I really sat down and I, I, I think I came up with Ronnie, Lewis, Constance and, and Sarah within a week or two of that kind of happening. And then, and then I was kind of away. So it was still a really long process after that. But I remember going into that meeting saying, if she says it's fine, then I'm quitting my PhD. I'd quit my full-time job to, to do this PhD in creative writing. But I knew that if she said, no, no, this is normal and fine, that mm. I would, I, there was no way I could continue because I just knew that it wasn't... Because you, like, you would not have known what was wrong with that. And if she was telling you that it was fine, then you Yeah, and to just keep going, right. there would have been kind of nowhere to go. I needed, I needed her to say, no, you're right. Something needs to be broken apart. Um, and that happens so many times throughout the book. But that first one was so... Um, and one thing I will say I learned from Shady is like... Uh, Mary Carr says this. You know, she says, I'm not much of a writer, but I'm a stubborn little bulldog of a reviser. And that is so much better than... <laughs> 
then valuing kind of what happens to come through on a given day. If you go, no, I'm just going to keep going till it's not shit. Mm. That, that is the, the, the more important skill than, than like luck or talent or whatever. I think, yeah. You, 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 you seem to handle it very, very well. Like there was like... I'm a bit of a masochist. I'm like, yeah, tell me I'm shit. Like, this is great, you know. Um, no, but truly, I, it was affirming, as I said, to mm. feel like, sh- like Shady, a writer I admired, agreed that we were not heading in the right direction. Mm. And so, and I, I really, what's been wonderful about um, publishing with Pan Macmillan and some of my amazing Pan Macmillan people are in the room here with us tonight, um, is really saying, oh, you take feedback well. Like, mm. when, we, when we're talking about things, you really go away and you think about it and you kind of implement... And, and that, is, that is something that I, yeah, I really value and that I recommend writers develop because I think if you think that... If you, if you don't open that door and you're not willing to kind of um, make it the most kind of clear execution of, of the vision as it can be, then um, you're wasting the reader's time. Mm. And there are people you shouldn't listen to and it's really hard to know the difference. So hard. But I do think once you find good people and you know that they, they love what you love about your work and you're, you're working together, like, that is such an amazing... That is, the hands down, the best part of being published is being, being edited well. Um, yeah, it was such a life-changing experience for me. I'm so glad you went through it and, and did that, and here we are now. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's what? I wanted to ask you, what advice would you have given to yourself before you started writing, just before you started writing, or kind of became Dirt Town? I think oh, that's a really good question. Um, <laughs> what I, <laughs> one thing, one just good piece of writerly advice in general that feels counterintuitive is like you really there is something gained when you spend when you read something and you write it out by hand and mm. you really engage with like why you like a particular passage of writing. Something is happening on like a muscular, a submuscular level that is making you a better writer. So you you. Progress is so slow mm. that you won't necessarily feel it happening. But if you return to that practice of, of, of attuning yourself to what writing moves you and how it, like some sense of how it's doing that, and you keep returning to that practice, you will become a better writer. And the best way to kind of be able to take that practice is to invest in your characters. Mm. So whoever you're writing about, know that that until they get deep and complex and interesting, your story's not kind of going anywhere. So you move between, okay, I've, I've got nothing left for this character today, I'm going to read some stuff and think about what's good and try and, and breathe in a little bit and, like, take in something. And then when that's done, I'm going to return and I'm going to try and breathe out and learn something about these, these people that I'm trying to make live on the page. Do you think that you've learnt from, from this entire experience, do you think that you've learnt things in which that you would definitely do next time or... or with all your future work that you... Yeah, that you absolutely. And it, it is kind of the character thing. I think it yeah. took me a long time. So, and I think it's important to be really upfront. Like, I wrote a book because I wanted to have written a book. I thought that would be cool. Like, I did not set out to... Um, and I hear some writers talk about it and I just... I, I'm so happy for them. You know, they're clearly better people. But they're like, oh, they had this story that I wanted to tell. And um, for some people, it's like... That, that sort of sense of this story being latent in them is so important. I had to make shit up for years and years and years. And that was... But in the process of doing that, I got to know these people and, mm. then, and then something clicked. Then something happened and I had a story to tell. So it's okay if you don't... Um, I guess my advice is it never feels like you're doing it right. Yeah. Ever. Yep. Like, at no point in the journey I'm like, yes, this is going well. <laughs> and yet here I am. And I'm... I'm, I, I'm 
being incredibly well published, you know, I really have this experience of feeling very supported by my publisher and my early kind of discussions with readers have been just so amazing um, because the, these my imaginary friends that I've been hanging out with for years are now reaching people, connecting with people. So that idea of just finding a way to push push through until you do have something is okay. It's okay if you, if you don't have some greater story to tell mm. because you're kind of learning to write at the beginning too. Like that was, I hadn't written anything of any length before Dirt Town. I'd had a couple of short stories published, but I love writing novels. I love, and I, I think I've learned that various ways to just keep coming back to the page and that is writing for me. There's craft and, you know, that's always, I love talking about that and thinking about that, but really it's like, how do I not stop? That's mm. what you've got to, and you've got to solve that problem every bloody day, like every day. Do you feel the, do you fear the, the blank page? Do you have the fear Absolutely. of the blank page? Yeah. And I, I wasn't feeling, I've uh, got a two book deal for this. Um, and so it's not a sequel to Dirt Town. It's a totally mm. new book. Um, but I've, I'm feeling so much more comfortable now. I've got a cushion of about 90,000 words behind me because I'm starting to feel like I know these people and I can, um, and I, like I said, I'm a pantser, so mm. I'm, the plot will, will, will go back and forth and I'll have to make it the most interesting that I can, but at least I've got a sense of who these people are because it's the making stuff up out of nothing. Like, this person likes banana milkshakes. Like, that is hard. That takes energy. And I like to do that slowly over a bit of time rather than trying to... To, to squeeze that out too quickly. It just all yeah. kind of comes, doesn't it? Like, for, for me, when you talked about Flea the Cat before and, like, all, all that kind of... And that you didn't know that at the time you had to get into the room, you had to get into that setting, and it just sort of kind of um, happens organically. It's it's the weirdest uh, experience, I find. It's the it? closest thing to a higher power I have, man. Like, Absolutely. It is, it, it's something very magical, and you are frustrated and you are trying... You know, it never feels very smooth, but in those rare moments where something just does come to you... Um, you know, I think I've enjoyed a total of 45 minutes of writing this book, but man, those 45 minutes, like those little half sentences where you're like, yes, that is a true thing. That is what eating a twisty feels and tastes like, you know, is um, worth it, I think. I've really talked up the twisty bit. Like, <laughs> oh, the twisty bit, it, del it delivers. It delivers the goods. The twisty bit delivers the goods. So, Ron, there you have it. That was me and Hayley Scrivener talking uh, last Friday night at Better Red Than Dead Newtown. So that recording was recorded on location in the wild in Better Red Than Dead Newtown. Uh, yeah, absolute pleasure talking to Hayley Scrivener about Dirt Town. Absolute pleasure and privilege to be able to do so within that capacity and absolute joy. I've known Hayley for a number of years now and it was just... It's so good to see someone that's done so much for the community being so successful in that regard with their own writing. So yeah, congratulations to Haley. Thank you so much for talking to me in that regard. And yeah, while well, I'm in the thank you mood, thank you so much for you, to you, dear listener, I should say, for listening to this particular episode of the Right Way Podcast program and for listening to the, as we like to call it, ever proliferating back catalogue there of other episodes. If you haven't already, give a cheeky like uh, or follow, I should say, on Spotify or SoundCloud, if that's where you're listening to this on. And yeah, please do stay tuned because there's a lot more episode coming your way as well. But yes... For now, thank you so much for listening to this episode and I bid you a lovely day, evening or morning.